How's it going, guys? Welcome to the High Bar Podcast. My name is Jaron Yamane. I'm one of the coaches here at Nori Powerlifting. And today I am with Michael Jin, who is another one of our coaches on the roster. And he was the interviewer for our coaches interview series. But today I have the honor of being the interviewer. And Michael is the interviewee. So uh, really excited about that. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to, to hop on and, and, and be a part of this series, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I, I love the going through and getting to be able to talk to each and every one of the coaches as well as just get to know everyone more on like a one on one uh, basis. But then, you know, the question came up of, OK, like who's going to who's going to get the chance to you know do you, Mike? So I think uh, mm -hmm. uh, in my head, I, I, I know when we talked uh, on your interview, I wanted you to be potentially the one to do it. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much Aaron, for giving us your time and uh, being the one to interview me. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. It's a big honor and uh, really excited for all the topics that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but we can just start off by just talking about your background a little bit. You know, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, you know, I know you currently live in Houston, but uh, mm -hmm. did you always live there? No. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, and I was born there. Uh, but I'll, I'll rewind a little bit because uh, I do want to share kind of about my parents, you know, our background to like where I got to being in Houston. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, both of my parents are actually you know, fully Korean. I, I'm really into genealogy and like ancestry as a part time little thing for people who don't know. Uh, so I, I looked up, you know, our parents, my parents backgrounds and, you know, both of them are fully Korean. They're they, they both got educated in, in, in Korea and went to college. But uh, my dad wanted to become a pastor. Uh, a Christian uh, pastor in America. So he had studied, met my mom, I believe at like uh, in Korea, there's like those academies where you can learn English after, after like your classes. And I guess, uh, you know, they fell in love and my dad was like, my plans to move to America. And she was like, I'm going to follow you and, you know, support your dream. So uh, both of them moved uh, to America in the 90s. Uh, Dallas is a, a solid, like, you know, place for Koreans to start their American life because a lot of Koreans already immigrated to Dallas at the time. So they already kind of knew a few people, but, you know, they didn't really come uh, with, with, you know, that much money or knowledge of, of America. They just came learning a little bit of English and then, you know, decided to start a whole new life, which, you know, to this day, I'm sure, you know, you can agree. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to, you know, just leave your country and like have to figure out how to live somewhere else. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, they, they moved to America and eventually my dad actually got a, a doctorate in theology. Um, and then my mom got a, a master's in like, uh, I think it was like Christian, uh, like leadership and Bible study. So both of them were pretty involved, you know, in, in, uh, in their religious organizations. And, you know, my dad had set up his own church as well. Uh, but yeah, just like growing up, uh, it was me just watching them kind of live the quote unquote, the American dream of, you know, working from beauty shops to my dad was a janitor. We did donut shops at one point. Uh, then they settled on dry cleaning. Uh, cause I think, uh, for some reason, a lot of Korean Americans, especially in Texas, I don't know if in other states this is the case, but they do dry cleaners a lot in, in Texas. So uh, that that's kind of the one they got into. But uh, on the side, they were always, uh, you know, working on the church, you know, had the, had the church they were uh, setting up on the weekend. So it was just watching them kind of nonstop grind. And uh, I don't know if that's maybe part of where I get it from. But, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's uh, how, you know, we settled into Dallas. Um, and then after I was born. Um, I had met a friend in middle school who uh, I got really close with and, and, you know, he ended up having to move back to Houston. I think, uh, uh, I don't want to embarrass him, but I think in high school, uh, he didn't do too well in geometry. And I think his mom got worried and was like, you're not smart enough to go to school here. So she wanted to bring him back to Houston. And, you know, that was heartbreaking for me because I was like, oh man, he was one of my first really good best friends in middle school. And I had to watch him leave and go back home. But then, you know, we connected over, you know, online video games, whatnot. And then uh, years later, I ended up going to University of Houston, as you know. So uh, we, we got to still keep in touch. And he was actually my roommate for my freshman year. So yeah, that, that's kind of my the start of how I you know grew up uh, in Dallas. Wow, man. That's amazing, bro. So is most of your family now still in Korea? Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, on my dad's side, what's crazy is uh, he's the oldest out of uh, five. Uh, the other four are all uh, aunts. So they're all they're all daughters. They all moved everywhere across the world on my dad's side. So the second aunt lives close to Dallas. The third aunt, I think she's in um, Cambodia or China. She's been moving around in that area. And then uh, the fourth aunt is uh, in Belgium and she married a, a German guy, uh, my uncle Bernard. And then the, the fifth aunt is in California. So they are all like, like 
out of Korea, very, very kind of separated. We all keep in touch, obviously, but they're not, they don't live each, uh, near each other. But my mom's side, um, everybody is still in Korea. She was the only one to leave. And she is the youngest out of nine. So out of all siblings, wow. uh, she was the only one to, you know, leave and pretty much go to America. But uh, for uh, the the aunt that's right above her, she did visit us in America. So I think she's the first one who actually like left the country to even just visit America. So uh, it was nice to have her come, come see us. But yeah, on my mom's side, I would say I'm a little bit distant from all of them because I just don't get to see them uh, very often. And they're all still in Korea. Got you, bro. Got you, got you. So do you visit Korea often? Uh, cause I've, I've never even been outside of the U S bro. <laughs> like really? I just got okay. my passport. Yeah. Like a couple Dang. months ago. Um, and I've been wanting to, to travel. Hopefully this year is the year to do it, but, uh, definitely want to go to Japan. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. So I have some family over there, uh, some family in Okinawa. Um, I heard Korea is beautiful. Uh, I do want to go to Italy, uh, planning on going to Iceland next year. So Dang. although I've never been outside of the U S like, I have some pretty big plans to hopefully travel internationally, but uh, yeah. Like, do you go back to Korea to visit them? Do you travel internationally a lot? Cause yeah. I know actually you, you're pretty big on traveling, bro. We've actually had a few conversations about this and like, you love traveling, uh, love racking up the points. Uh, that's something <laughs> that we talked about too, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, have I, you been in the U.S.? I, I think uh, uh, domestically within the U.S., I've traveled a lot and I'm fairly, you know, like aware of how to effectively travel and maximize, you know, just the experience. But internationally, uh, unfortunately, I've not actually had too much opportunity. I have gone to Japan, so I highly recommend whenever you get the chance, you're going to love it there. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the only other country outside of that really I visited was Korea. Um, however, I've probably only visited like four or five times in total, like a few times as like a young kid, uh, one time in like middle or high school, and then one time as like a sophomore in college, I think, or, or somewhere around that time. So about 2015 uh, ish. So it has been actually now that I think about it, seven years since I even traveled internationally or, or actually I went to uh, Canada a couple of years ago. So I guess that counts, okay. but, mm -hmm. uh, but it's right, you know, right. Our neighbor upstairs. So it wasn't too yeah. far off. Uh, but yeah, like in terms of Korea, um, I haven't had too much opportunity. And every time I went, it was kind of like tagging along with mom and dad and, you know, seeing family, which there's nothing wrong with, but it was never like me venturing and saying, okay, like this is the places I want to go see and do X, Y, and Z. Uh, nor was I old enough to really like set that up and create like an itinerary for myself. So mm -hmm. I definitely do want to visit at some point in the future and then have that opportunity where I'm the one kind of dictating like what I want to go and see. Because uh, uh, as an example, in Seoul, uh, the, the uh, main major city and capital in Korea, uh, they have this big museum and it actually has like this artifact or scroll that one of my direct ancestors on my lineage he like wrote i guess so like it's like in display at the museum so i want to go there and be able to see it and be like oh that's my ancestor from the 1300s who wrote wow. it so yeah because because uh, if you didn't know this uh, um in in korean culture they actually keep track of their family tree and um, they call it a uh, chokbo which is like a book that literally records like the, your dad, your dad's dad, and just goes all the way up the line. Um, I don't think uh, other Asian countries really record keep to that uh, extent from what I've researched. So it's crazy how in Korea, it's actually public record. You can actually go to the city and be like, oh, who was my great, great grandpa on, on my mom's side and my dad's side? And you can actually look up public record and, you know, have this kind of family tree book. And, and uh, some Koreans still take it really seriously. They actually have like annual convention meetings where like your fellow clanmates all come and get together i guess you pay like a fee wow. uh rent out like a banquet hall eat some food and talk about i don't really know what they talk about maybe it's stuff like our family tombs or whatever we have to, to pay to upkeep the land are you guys willing to donate i'm pretty sure it's stuff like that <laughs> but uh, uh but it's just it's just crazy how korea still has that so yeah i definitely want to go and visit again but it's been it's been quite some time Awesome, man. Well, hopefully in the future, bro, we can we can plan a trip, maybe even a team trip, bro, to Korea or Japan. I know Sean's been dying to go to Japan, bro. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know you guys are both big on Japanese food, omakase, sushi. So, uh, yeah, bro, hopefully that's something that we can plan in the future. I know Sean was saying like, yeah, if we go, bro, we got to save up because we're definitely eating. Good. <laughs> like, we're, not oh, just, yeah. Yeah, we're not just going just to get like five dollar ramen. Like we're eating the best sushi up there. So I was like, all right. We'll give us a couple years. We'll save up and then maybe we can go. 
uh take a nice trip over there eat some good yeah, sushi yeah well well even the cheaper stuff there i will say is good like uh, i can see why people in asia are just generally like body fat percentage wise healthier because you know you go to like the 7-eleven in japan and like early morning they prep fresh food for like five bucks that you can buy like you know some kind of katsu pork katsu don over rice with like an egg and it's like five bucks uh like wow. usd uh in terms of conversion so honestly mm-hmm. uh even the cheaper food or quote-unquote cheap doesn't really mean it's low quality at least in japan i feel like they have that perfectionist standard where they're like even though this is like a nine dollar bowl of ramen it is like one of the best bowls of ramen you could really have uh but but sushi wise i think really why it's just so much more expensive is just the cut or the quality of the fish so the difficulty of acquiring that certain cut or seasonal or whatever or the craftsmanship of how the chef prepares it so that's kind of what you're paying for is the experience which is why like some of my friends are always like why would you pay like a hundred dollars to eat sushi uh and i'm like oh, well you gotta you gotta realize like the skill the experience you know the the season the cut like that's what adds up the cost it's the same as like wine right like if you buy california wine because I, I i also took a wine and beer class i think i mentioned to you before um if i didn't um yeah we learned like in america there's like an ada so there's like land that's like government approved for grape growing for the purpose of making wine and uh like the year uh or like the, the how much rainfall there was like all that affects like the flavor of the grape but in California, the land is in general more expensive, as you know, uh, plus the, the packaging or the bottling of, of a fancier bottle is what really spikes up the cost of that wine. So sometimes you might buy like a $60 bottle of wine from California. And honestly, flavor profile wise, it's not like it's that much better. It's just the packaging and the area it's from kind of spikes up the cost. So, you know, sometimes uh, you could just go to your local grocery store and probably find a pretty, pretty good wine. It's just, you know, it, it, people think it's bad wine because it's cheap. I mean, reality it's actually probably just as good yeah yeah wow bro i haven't really looked into wine too much but uh yeah definitely are you a big wine drinker um honestly i'm a bigger craft beer drinker and to to date even though i took the wine class uh i'll i'll drink wine and i'm more knowledgeable but i'm not i wouldn't consider myself anywhere near like an expert or anything like that. Um, I know with wine, like uh, there's just so many types that I just don't really, it doesn't really match my palate. I'll drink it, but I can Mm. see why it kind of turns off certain people from wanting to drink it. Cause I think uh, some people, the the way they drink alcohol, right. Is like either uh, they care more about the culinary pairing aspect or a certain type of flavor they want. And then the other side is like, we just want to drink just to get hammered and, you know, just enjoy, have a good time. So (laughs) I I think, I think, uh, uh, it depends on the mood or the crowd, I guess you're with. But uh, when it comes to wine, I guess you wouldn't even get like nicer wine unless you went to like a fancy restaurant. Um, mm. but, but when it comes to beer, like anytime I travel domestically, my goal is if I go to Chicago or St. Louis, one of these cities, what's the local brewery there that, you know, has a nice you know, a beer there that I can try and, you know, just sample because I can't find that in Houston. Um, and I'm sure Hawaii might even have their own, you know, select group of beer if, if I don't know if you know, yep. but uh is there any any uh, brands or ones that you're familiar with from Hawaii that you like? Um, so I know we have like a few local breweries and we have a few local companies. I'm not too big on like trying different kinds of beers. I am. Uh, I do enjoy beer for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do enjoy drinking on occasion, but uh, yeah, not too much. I'm kind of like how you said. Some people really like the taste and they're like, yeah. oh yeah, like this is amazing and all the different profiles. Some people are just like. You know, if you're drinking, you're just getting hammered. I'm more of the second person. So <laughs> no, no yeah. shame, man. No judgment. But yeah, 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 yeah. I just kind of, uh, yeah, don't really drink too casually or like, you know, uh, dissect the, the profiles too much. But uh, yeah, we've got some some good beers down here, some good local beers for sure. Uh, awesome. So. Yeah, if man. I ever, ever visit, I gotta, yeah, I gotta, yes. I gotta get some recommendations because I'm always the guy, if I do go to like the, like the, the house party or whatever, and people are drinking, they're always like, you need a chaser or whatever. I'm like, Hey, I drink just like whiskey straight up, like no, no ice or anything. So I'm good. Like I actually like the flavors. So I, I think uh, I just have that old man palate, man. Uh, and, and my, my friend's been getting me into cigars and whatnot. So I'm just like, man, I'm really going to turn into just some like old dude palate with, uh, with my whiskey and cigars. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, I'm, I'm excited for you to get to travel at some point, man. Uh, hopefully international restrictions start loosening up and, uh, and we can both share our, our travel experience later this year. Oh, yeah. 100 percent, bro. All right. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, talked a little bit about your family background and where you grew up and how things were like. Uh, 
very curious to hear how you got into lifting or what kind of sports you played growing up and uh, what kind of led you to, to, like I said, take on lifting and then eventually uh, compete in powerlifting. Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of kids my age in middle school, like they were starting to be like, you know, looking in the mirror, wanting to look good, build muscle, et cetera. It's funny because I was completely the opposite uh, uh, to go back a little further. I actually was bullied a lot in my childhood. Unfortunately, um, I went to a school where I was probably the only Asian American kid there. Uh, it was predominantly Hispanic and African-American. Um, I still have made friends and, you know, obviously in retrospect, uh, you know, kids don't know what they're, what they're doing and, you know, they're going to make mistakes. Uh, but yeah, I feel like, uh, uh I kind of was isolated or picked on just from, uh, that difference. Um, and, and unfortunately, even at church, I think the older guys just kind of picked on me. Uh, it wasn't out of like ill intent, but I think just being at that age, it's like when you're the younger kid, it's like, you kind of get bullied. So I think as a kid, uh, it made me. I guess like, I feel like it, weirdly enough, I was still a lot more outgoing as a kid. I'm probably less outgoing now, but uh, back then it definitely uh, kind of took a, a hit on my confidence and I lifted because I wanted to just be strong. And I actually, that was the original goal from day one. Um, mm -hmm. I remember sixth grade, uh, uh, like a family friend of ours graciously gifted me this old bench press of his. He was like, I have no use for it. You can take it. Um, and I just remember the older friends at church were always like, oh, we're getting into football. We're getting into wrestling. We're getting into lifting weights. So they were kind of the first to exposure I had to like just working out in general. Um, mm -hmm. One of the older ones there, he, he had pretty good genetics from what I remember. And he was like, pretty lean and, and had a solid six pack and had a decent amount of muscle and, and you know, putting up uh, decent numbers for someone who's training more bodybuilding style. So I was always like, you know, inspired and like, wow, like I want to look like a uh, Joe one day and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and kind of get to his size. So they, they took me to the YMCA a few times and just kind of showed me like what they did. Uh, but, but in middle school is really, kind of my, my ego of, I wanted a lot of the jock, like football kids at our school were kind of always like, you know, uh, picking on the, the, like the stereotypical nerdy kids. They were just like, oh, we're the tough football player. So I always wanted to be like, if I can at least outbench those guys, uh, it means something to me. So that was like my goal, <laughs> my hidden secret goal I had set. So I started benching in my backyard with that old bench. And it was, I don't even know what brand it was. It was such a crappy bench, man. Like I'm mm -hmm. thankful I got it, but it was like, it was such a close grip rack that I literally had to like grip it like a, a super close grip, unrack it, and then like slide my hands out, do the reps. And then after I do the reps, slide my hands back in and then rack it back into the rack. Cause it was so like, yeah. like awkwardly set up. Um, and back then I never thought to do like, you know, powerlifting style wide grips. I, that was just never came to mind. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think my workout back then, all I did was like, a set of 12, 10, eight, six. And I would just work up and wait every set and pyramid. And then if I failed, I would just drop the weight to the side onto the concrete off of me and then just like sit up and then just grab the bar. So like, <laughs> I think as a kid, like I just didn't even uh, mind failing. Cause I always worked out on my own, just in the backyard. It's not like my parents were into sports or lifting weights, you know, being Korean American immigrants, like uh, uh, sports is not really, you know, a big priority. Like I didn't grow up watching football. I didn't grow up watching basketball. Like Sports was just something I got into myself, like as I got older, but in sixth grade, uh, my dad did go to uh, martial arts with me. So we, we did something called Kumdo or Hedong Kumdo. So it's like Kendo, but like a Korean version of it. And I actually have a black belt in it, uh, which honestly doesn't mean too much in a, in a firearm based society we live in. But uh, I do have a katana uh, in my closet. Uh, it's wow. not sharpened, but uh, I got a black belt in, in middle school doing a, 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 a kumdo with my dad. Um, but other than that, uh, I just like literally only benched in middle school because I couldn't squat in that rack and I just never really thought about it. So it wasn't mm -hmm. even like I was trying to skip leg day. I just didn't really know what, what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, wow. but, but yeah, like that's how I started benching. And then high school comes around and uh, I wanted to do wrestling because all my friends, I know we talked about wrestling last time we talked. Um, mm -hmm. My older friends were like, oh, we're getting into it. You should try it out. And at the time, I kid you not, I thought I, wa I wanted to be like an MMA fighter. I was like, I want to do like UFC type stuff. And I did wrestling. I did a little bit of MMA after school. But then, I mean, as I got older, I realized like that's not uh, the most secure career path, obviously. So, you know, kind of made me stray away. But I still was really enjoyed wrestling and, you know, my time doing it. And that was my four year sport of choice. Um, but I think uh, uh, I, I started lifting a lot more during high school. And I think sophomore year summer was when I really started going to like a commercial gym outside of school. Um, and then I had a few friends who wanted to go with me, uh, like a few parents like rotating could give us a ride or whatever. And then slowly we all started getting our driver's license and was able to drive ourselves. 
So that was really the start. Um, but powerlifting wise, I guess we were inadvertently powerlifting because uh, we didn't know what it was. We just kind of strength trained and did five by fives and, you know, one rep maxes. Um, but, yep. but there was a guy uh, that did talk to us about powerlifting at one point, And I remember that. And I was like, oh, maybe that's something we can try at some point. Um, yeah. But other than that, like literally, I told Aiden this when we were talking on our, our uh, talk, literally, we just maxed out every week and just went way too hard, uh, did all the wrong things. Uh, yeah. uh, I'd say each of us in that group, uh, there was like eight of us, I'd say at least at one point, all of us hurt our back <laughs> to the point where we were like in pretty bad pain. And we were like, we should stop lifting for like a week. Um, yeah. But we, we all yeah, we just we all just went hard, but, but we did get stronger. So it was nice. And I I still have like a, a library of those cringe old form videos we have of each of us oh. maxing out. So every now and then I could pull them out and, and send it to my friend and be like, you remember that when we were like 14, just like maxing out on 335 or something and just going way mm -hmm. too hard. So, yeah, that, that was really the start of how I got into lifting. Uh, but then um, I guess like uh, come college, I realized, OK, I'm not good enough to wrestle college. And I didn't want to wrestle college, honestly, because it was really hard, you know, and I think wrestling oh, yeah. uh, burned me out unfortunately even though i loved it because it was not easy and as you know um mm -hmm. so by college i was like okay like i want to go to university of houston because that's where my friend from middle school i told you about uh we had you know i had kept up with them and, we, and they gave me the most scholarships and financial aid it was really the finances that that uh, opted me to go there um yeah. and they don't have an official wrestling team at that school or anything like that so that wouldn't have even been an option um mm -hmm. so yeah that that's what got me to college and then uh we were both just kind of bored as freshmen and we're looking for a sport to at least dabble in and then uh, we were watching barbell brigade i can't remember if it was you i talked to about uh, that i think it was uh, yeah. but yeah th that's where we were like why don't we try it you know we followed bart all these years and you know we want to give it a shot uh so that really was uh the first uh the meet, meet we ever did wow man that's awesome. Oh, so you guys did a meet your freshman year of college. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it, it was, a uh, uh, we, we signed up and then, uh, that, that was the year we, uh, I, I met a new group of college friends, fortunately, that kind of became like my college lifting group. Cause in high school, it's weird. Cause I'd say most of college after sophomore year, I just trained by myself for the most part. But before that, up until that, I always trained with like a big group, you know, in high school, it was always at that group of six to eight of us just going to the gym after school, uh, freshman year of college. Uh, it was always like a group of, you know, six to seven of us going to the rec center. Um, and, and everyone was just like high testosterone, pretty strong, like, you know, really wanting to get into lifting. And uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it makes me happy to say, even in my high school group, at least half of them ended up competing at least once in powerlifting. And then oh. um, in my college group, I think almost all of them ended up competing at least once. So uh, we were, we, it was enough to convince each of us. And that's kind of how organically our team just grew is more and more people were just down to just try it out. Kind of like we've yeah. shared with, with uh, both of our clubs growing. And uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm happy to say like a lot of my friends, uh, uh, they were able to at least experience, you know, the sport and, and, and get a, get a taste of something that, you know, brings a lot of joy to, you know, you and my, you and my life, uh, uh, which is yeah. powerlifting. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's how we got into it uh, initially. Absolutely, bro. So when that, when you did your first meet uh, your freshman year, what, were you a part of the UH powerlifting club? Um, and is it something that you guys kind of planned for the whole year or was it something you guys were like, Hey, it's coming up in like six weeks. We don't know what we're doing, but we're just going to fucking do it anyway. Like we're just, we're all in, like, let's do it together. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the funny thing is, uh, when we were freshmen, um, we knew A&M, Texas A&M university, well-known university, uh, UT Austin, um, UT San Antonio, where Ashton Ruska and, and some of the other lifters went to, those schools mm -hmm. all had established teams. Like they all had clubs for years before we were even in college. U uh, University of Houston had nothing up until that point. It was just mm -hmm. a, 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 my freshman year, it was a group of lifters in the gym that just kind of got together and said, let's make like a social barbell club. Um, and, and that was kind of the birth of like just people coming together and realizing, oh, like, there's other people here who like bodybuilding, who like weightlifting, who like powerlifting. And, and then the club uh, formed off of that. Out of that club, I think uh, ultimately, uh, not in a bad way per se, but it's split into two major groups of like the UH powerlifting team that it is today. And then like the Cougar, which is our uh, mascot, a weightlifting club. So uh, that was uh, uh, led by a guy named Kyle, who was a weightlifter himself. 
Uh, so it wasn't like you all had to compete in weightlifting, but you know, that kind of was the more casual, like if you want to lift socially type of club. Um, but we had people that were in both groups. Um, so then the powerlifting team formed because uh, out of that original, you know, social club, I told you about, uh, one of the guys who actually was friends with Russ, uh, Gabe, um, he, he met a guy named Dave who came from Georgia for his uh, PhD and he had done equipped single ply powerlifting for about eight years. So Dave was kind of the veteran who, you know, competed way more than any of us, obviously. Um, and he, you know, they set up the club and then Dave was the first one to, to take over. Um, if what's funny is actually Russ's very first meet, uh, in USAPL was my, my very first USAPL meet and coach Dave was there handling Russ at that meet. Um, and, and that was my first, uh, uh, impression of seeing someone like Russ come in, no knee sleeves, no belt. He broke the American national 83 kilo record at the time. And I was just like, what the heck? Uh, this guy is a, is a beast. Um, and yeah, that was when our team first formed. Then I guess, uh, we started kind of putting our, our team's name on the map, uh, competing with some of the other schools, um, and yeah, so really the, the, I kind of grew with the club. Um, it, the best analogy I can think of, uh, I don't know if you'll resonate with this is like shows like Naruto or Dragon Ball Z where, uh, we grew up when the show was like ongoing. And then by the time you and I kind of got into our twenties, like the show kind of ended, you know, I, Dragon Ball is kind of still ongoing, obviously with super, but like shows like Naruto kind of ended. So we got to see as a kid, like the main character grow up and we grew up with them. And that's what it felt like for me and our, our university team is I got to see like the origin, uh, the development, and then kind of where it is today, which uh, uh, in, in just a month, uh, as you know, with collegiate nationals coming up, we have, I think about 20, 20 people going to compete. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool to see like uh, still us having a pretty substantially large team. Oh yeah. 100% bro. So how many meets have you done? Cause your first meet was your freshman year of college. And that was when you were part of the UH team. Uh, and did you kind of compete regularly after that, um, you know, kind of throughout your college career? Yeah. So, uh, uh to, to kind of share with you, uh, I think we might've talked about it before. My very first meet actually was, uh, uh very kind of sad for me. Uh, actually the month before that meet during Easter, my dad actually passed away. So he had pulmonary hypertension uh, and it was like, I remember looking it up and it was like pretty much like an uncurable condition. Um, and I don't even know, like, what kind of kept me focused to still do the meet? Cause I remember I did that first meet and I was pretty like positive and happy about it. Uh, maybe at the time it was just kind of like that shock of like, Oh man, like this just happened, but you know, life moves on and, you know, I still got to be in school. I still have to do the things I got to do. So I ended up doing that first meet with uh, two of my good friends. One of them uh, I'm going to see later tonight. The other one, he still competes regularly. Um, mm -hmm. So it's cool to see uh, both of them, you know, how much they've invested in the sport themselves. But yeah, after that first meet, which was actually a USPA meet, it wasn't even a USAPL meet. Um, oh. I did uh, one more USPA meet. I made the grave mistake of trying to cut a bunch of weight. Uh, I, I, in my freshman year, I, I think freshman 15, as it stereotypically happens, I got to like 190 something. And then I was like, I'm getting fluffy. I want to, I want to cut weight and, and compete at what was 74 kilos at the time. Uh, in USPA, it was still 75 kilos. So I cut all the way down, did a 75 kilo meet in October. Uh, and then uh, November was my 74 kilo USIPL meet that Russ did, the first meet that we did. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I literally did a meet back to back. The reason uh, I did that November meet was because I was still a teen at the time and I had a uh, shot at breaking the squat and bench na uh, national teen record. Because um, back then in USAPL, you could break national records at a local meet if there was two national refs present. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the cut, I just did it the wrong way. I cut way too hard. Um, I missed both of my third attempts on squat and bench. So I missed both of those records. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of was a wake up call for me. It was like, hey, like you got to have more strategy and, you know, think, think this through a little bit more. Um, I did. I, I put in a lot of effort for sure, but I, I just don't think my my game plan or how I cut was really as effective as it should have been. Um, but after that meet uh, and I did the November uh, USAPL meet with Russ, um, mm. I kept competing pretty much every semester after that. I don't think I stopped really competing till about like 2019, which I'll eventually get to with you. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, like uh, after that meet, uh, I was like cutting weight is not it. I'm going to go back up and, you know, be healthy at 83 kilos. Um, so I did, uh, I didn't do collegiate nationals in 2016, I think, cause it was in, um, Rhode Island and it was kind of expensive. You know, I was a sophomore, I think in college. So, you know, being able to pay for that, especially after, you know, my dad passed, I'm not someone with a lot of money, like 
going into college, I remember my freshman year, I think I had like $50 in my bank account. Cause I mean, I, my, yeah, my family wasn't well off. I didn't, uh, I went to U of H just purely out of the scholarship. So um, even uh, like, I think when I see younger lifters talking about, Oh, things are expensive. I'm like, I get it. But you know, if you love it, you're going to make it happen. And, you know, I worked and did what I needed to do to, to be able to pay for a, a plane ticket or like, you know, do all the point and mile stuff that I do. The reason I got into all that was yeah. just to be able to afford being able to fly to all these places. So for those of you listening out there, who don't know anything about like credit cards and miles, like just to give you an example, I think from the start of 2017 till now, I have flown pretty much free for five years uh, just from doing this strategy. And, and it's something I can definitely get more into on another talk. But uh, yeah, like I, I found whatever way it took to be able to afford competing and, you know, doing those meets. Cause as you know, it's self-funded, you know, there's no, uh, unless you're at a very high level, it's not like SBD or someone's going to sponsor you. And even if they do, it's like, you still are going to have to cover some of your own uh, fees. So yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, I competed every uh, semester after that. I did Raw Nationals 2016. That was my first Raw Nats. It was the first time I got to see someone like Sean in person and uh, and just like think to myself, man, like, can I even compete with a guy like that? And I was like almost like starstruck, like, oh, man, like, you know, Sean's like so strong. I think that was when I first saw John Hack compete. Um, and uh, I, I met I met a couple friends uh, at that meet that I later to this day are, are good friends with that. That was in the 83 kilo weight class. So then after that, I did collegiate nationals 2017, the, the year that I, I won, as you know, and then uh, raw nationals 2017 uh, did terribly at that meet. Um, <laughs> uh, I did collegiate nationals 2018, I think, and then uh-huh. uh, bench nationals that year. I did raw nationals yeah. again in 2018. So I pretty much I remember nonstop. That. Yeah. Kept competing. Um, but in retrospect, I think uh, it would have been better to slow down a little bit and just build a little more and not compete so frequently. Um, I don't regret having competed that often, but I think um, for newer lifters now that are just kind of thinking about doing a meet, I think I really burned myself out, not mentally, but my body was just getting so injured all the time. Um, and, and yeah, like it was just by the end of uh, that competitive stint, I feel like I was just like chronically in pain. So it definitely was not a good feeling. I got you, man. I got you. Uh, I actually want to go into into depth a little bit because we kind of just, you know, uh, you know, briefly went over, oh, yeah, I compete at this nationals and then I won nationals. And then Mm. I think that's a that's a pretty big accomplishment, man. Like it was definitely someone uh, you were definitely someone that I looked up to for sure. Like, you know, during that time and and watching the UH club grow, um, if you could talk a little bit about what that was like for your team or if you could kind of think back to, to 2017 nationals. Um, I think about, you know, what the prep was like or what the energy like or the mindset was like for the team going into this nationals, uh, kind of knowing that you were like one of the favorites to win and then actually winning it and kind of, you know, what that did for your team and what it did for the motivation. Because uh, I definitely know for a team like the UH, the University of Hawaii team, you know, if we had a collegiate national champion or like a top placer, I mean, that motivates everyone in the room, you know, to like push themselves yeah. to be better, to be at that higher level. And uh, right now, like for Hawaii, we do have someone like that. We have multiple people, multiple people like that. Uh, Charvis is one of them who's yeah. uh, in contention to win it for the 83 juniors or 82 half juniors now at nationals. And, uh, you know, when he's in the room and when he's getting going and he's fired up, people feel it. You know, people feel that energy and they feed off of it. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear more about it, man, because I feel like it's a huge accomplishment. It was really awesome what you did. So, uh, yeah, what was it like? leading up to that meet, winning it, and then carrying that momentum going forward. Yeah, so uh, I guess the rewind um, after uh, sophomore year or so, um, I think I kind of went through a lot of internal change just because uh, after my dad passed, uh, I, I, I feel like I had to kind of rediscover my identity of like, you know, what type of person do I want to be? And, and weirdly enough, I think up until that point, uh, like I told you as a kid, I was pretty outgoing, but I think it really made me self-conscious after that of like, man, like I, I need to like do better. I need to like, uh, ha- like create purpose in my life because, you know, th- like obviously uh, now uh, uh, I need to be the, be a caretaker for my mom and, you know, be able to just be a good son. Right. So I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, those years uh, I stopped training with like a bunch of big group. I still like hung out with my friends and people like, you know, like I was okay, but uh, I, I really just started training alone, started like working out really early, you know, just changing my schedule. And, uh, and I think that made me at the time, because our team was uh, led by Coach Dave, 
Um, I wasn't super close with uh, the team. I like showed up to practices and they knew of me, but I kind of did my own thing. I, I did my own self-programming. The 2017 collegiate meet, I actually completely self-programmed, self-coached it all the way into that meet. Um, I had a friend there to handle, but for the most part, I did my own meet day coaching and I calculated all the numbers, which is now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But it was, it was fun yeah. to me. I, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and I think that's where like, it just made me like continue to like enjoy meet day coaching and like how the numbers game is such a fun part of it. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, really at that time, uh, I really just trained mostly by myself. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't listen to music to hype myself up, but just kind of like block everything out and just get in my own zone. Um, so I feel like I was a little disconnected from the team at the time, but then, um, uh, the, the year I won, uh, fortunately, at that point, I met a lot of good friends in college that I'm friends to with this day. Um, a lot of them, even if they weren't powerlifters, I think were very supportive. Uh, it was fortunate that year that the meet was in Texas, so we didn't have to drive too far to for them to come and support and be able to watch me at that meet. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just really nice knowing like um, like winning to me. It didn't really feel like this moment where I was like, yeah, I did it. and I won. And it's like so great. It just kind of felt like, oh, wow, I won. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I felt in the moment. And uh, uh-huh. as I as I get led to go get drug tested right after, because, you know, after you win, they, they come and pull you aside. Um, I yeah. remember I was like, oh, do you guys have extra water? Because I don't know if I can pee right now. <laughs> and, you know, I have to drink a bunch of water. But yeah, uh, but yeah like I think I think uh, afterwards, um, maybe part of me philosophically, what it made me realize is winning uh, or becoming the champ. It didn't make me really feel like I'm better of a person than anyone else. Like it just made me feel like, Hey, like I accomplished something. This is great. But um, what's next, you know, like uh, what do I want to continue to do to, to create my story? I don't think this is to, this has to be the defining moment in my life. Um, yep. So I think, I think after that year, coach Dave left uh, and he com- continued to go to school, but he was like, you know, I can't really keep up with uh, helping you guys out because his doctorate program was really busy. Um, so I think, winning for me, I guess, gave me enough credibility amongst the, the people that were on the team that were left. Cause they were like, Oh, well, Mike pretty much self-programmed and coached himself into the meet. And I was willing to step up and, you know, coach and help the team out. Um, so that was the year that uh, I, I uh, became essentially the head coach of the, the U of H team and, and, and took over. Um, I think after like that year uh, for our team, what I do like about the University of Houston team is yes, every now and then throughout the years, we've gotten one of those stud standout lifters that is like in contention to do well. But most of our team were just people who wanted to start working out, wanted to start powerlifting. They weren't like necessarily a stud athlete in high school. They just kind of got into lifting. And I think I told you this on a previous talk, but like a lot of these crazy strong high school lifters, they like pop by or come and they're like, Oh, I, I power lifted. And they're kind of interested, but then they just don't really end up competing or really sticking with power, which is crazy. I'm like, you got, you have so much potential and they don't end up really following up with it. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the, the lifters that are now alumni from our team, they're kind of like the kids, like I got to see start just lifting when they were barely deadlifting, like 275 all the way to becoming like a 600 pound deadlifter. So for me, um, I think, my specialty may not have been with these really high level lifters at all times, but I got to watch a lot of early intermediate uh, lifters become early advanced. And that, that to me was really something I, I cherish a lot of seeing like, wow, like I got to see all these lifters like go from, you know, never thinking a 405 squat was possible to like repping it out mm-hmm. like nothing and five plates becoming like the norm for them. So yeah. um, most of the team uh, people on our team after I won, it wasn't really like, a bunch of stacked competitors. It was just fellow friends, other people I met or recruited from the wreck or just people that heard about the club and wanted to try it out. And then really just everyone as a group, just in a positive environment, slowly getting stronger together. And I think that's one thing I'm thankful for that uh, at least internally within our team, um, it's been relatively drama free. It's been a very like friendly environment. Like everyone's there just to achieve the same thing. I see a lot of good friendships forming within the club. So it, it always makes me happy that, at least like some of the students here that compete, uh, they get to have a good college experience on top of all of that and meet lifelong friends through the club uh, that they'll be friends with uh, uh, afterwards. And I still see a lot of our alumni lifters hanging out and talking. And, you know, even though they're busy in their careers or grad school, they all come back and, you know, come to watch a meet or even volunteer um, and then just still hang out uh, amongst themselves uh, outside of that. And and most of them, I think they've switched over to more like bodybuilding training now, just because it's easier to keep up with without spending as much time, like powerlifting vigorously. But uh, yeah, like I think uh, after that, that year, um, I, I 
started really developing the team. And, and then, you know, I, uh, not to give myself all the credit, we had a lot of other uh, more experienced lifters start stepping up and just providing like an assistant coach role and other, other just coaches. Um, that's one thing I've noticed, I guess, with a lot of the college teams, and maybe you, you might, you might attest or see this as well um, is unless you're a team that's like super developed, like Midland with like, you know, the funds and whatnot. I feel like a lot of the other uh, collegiate teams, they kind of end up, I don't want to say click, but like having like four or five primary coaches kind of split responsibility within like a 40 person team. And, and like mm-hmm. everyone kind of gravitates towards like this coach or that coach or this coach, or, you know, someone's working with like, let's say team Nori or Sean or something outside of the, the team coaches, and then they get their own coaching. So um, I think, I think my vision for that was even if we have other coaches, et cetera, I don't want there to be some sort of like, um, I guess like clashing of ideas or egos. Like I wanted this to be all the same goal group where overall the goal is the same. It's like internally, you know, my programming ideas might differ from this other coach on the team, but that doesn't mean we have beef or anything. It's just, Hey, like we agree to disagree. We're going to have healthy discussion to continue furthering both of our knowledge. But I think it's really cool that we were able to foster, um, you know, just that positivity and having, um, you know, just more information available for, for all the, all the kids. So, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't think my life really changed after winning, <laughs> I guess, gotcha. to, to kind of go back. But um, yeah, I think uh, it, it was nice to see that our team really did develop because uh, the year after our women's team did uh, get invited to go to university worlds, but it was just too expensive. We just did not have the funds. It would have been like at least gotcha. 2000 plus dollars per person, um, oh, wow. and, and, you know, yeah. just because of flight, international flight, housing for yeah. multiple days, the competition itself, the drug test fees. So, you know, it does add up and, and uh, um, I, like as, as unfortunate as it is, it is to say, I think some, some of the newer people that get into powerlifting that I see uh, that have a really positive tra- trajectory, I do see that, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but they do have a lot of financial, you know, backing, like either their parents really support them and want them to do something they want to do. Uh, but then I, I do, my heart always kind of reaches out for other people that I kind of relate to that didn't have the funds. They have to work themselves and, and, you know, work full, pretty much full-time in college and just to be able to afford to compete and go to school. Um, those yeah. are the kids when I meet like kids like that, I'm like, I want to help you because uh, my, that resonates with me. And I know, I know it's not easy. Um, but then, then again, even the kids who do have the backing, if they don't want it themselves and it's not something important to them, you know, the kid with the discipline and the passion, they're going to always outwork uh, someone else, even if they have all the means, right? hundred mm-hmm. percent, bro. I agree. I agree, man. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, so, you know, after you won nationals, right. So you're kind of the, the head coach now. Um, and this is probably the fall semester of 2017. I loved hearing all the background, uh, and all mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the startup story of how you became into being this position. Uh, cause when I learned about you guys and when I found out about you, uh, you guys had already been established, you know, like this was my fall 2017 spring 2018 yeah. semester. So you were already like the head coach. You were like the guy, you know, uh, I know you were kind of like the person leading that club and leading that team. Um, and also you were the national champion. So I was like, man, this is a big team. They seem like a really awesome team. Actually, when I was starting the club, I was using guys like, uh, you know, clubs like you guys, mm-hmm. uh, clubs like you, uh, Texas A&M, uh, yeah. things like that to draw inspiration to try to, uh, you know, grow our club and grow our team. Um, so it's really cool to hear that, that background story. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about that year from that point. So, uh, fall of 2017 leading into 2018 nationals, cause you were the returning national champ. Uh, you know, a lot of people had, had eyes on you, or at least that's, that's what I thought, you know, they were like, Oh shit, this is the guy to beat. He's the man. Um, you know, he's, he's running the whole team. He's running the whole, you know, he's bringing up a big team and he's the number one ranked guy. So, uh, a lot of people were looking up at you, uh, and, and looking at you. And, uh, I do remember meeting you at, 2018 nationals and talking story with you a bit and i was like damn this guy's really really nice he's super genuine uh super super humble uh super easy to talk to and i do remember that you would just walk around everywhere everywhere with a smile on your face including competing you know and i feel like that's that's pretty special and it shows a lot about your character about representing your team and representing your university and uh just having a great time and it's more than just the numbers when you compete up there if uh if if I'm not mistaken, because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you were going up and like, uh, kind of, I, I don't remember if you were limping cause I think you had a glute injury, but you yeah, were like, yeah. just literally bro, having the time of your life. And like, it was awesome to hear your team cheering for you, you going up, just having a great time, uh, and just 
enjoying the moment, man. So if you could talk mm. a little bit about that and, and what that meet, you know, felt like for you and maybe what that uh, whole experience was like. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I appreciate, you know, all the kind words. And, and I think that meet and uh, which was collegiate's 2018 and then Ron 2018, those two meets really uh, meant, meant like meant a lot for me in my, I guess, lifting career, because I think the 2018 collegiate's meet, uh, I was injured coming into the meet. And maybe that was kind of my first um, realization, like maybe I have a shelf life as a competitor, like I'm getting hurt. And, you know, this is something that is chronically, you know, something I have to deal with. Um, and I think like, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say, even though I was smiling, obviously internally there's disappointment and there's, you know, feelings of sadness or like, you know, just feeling like, man, in training, I'm, I'm in pain. I can't perform the way I want to, but I think I've, I've, uh, fortunately during college, I think I got to go through a lot of self-discovery just with, you know, the experiences I shared with you. I took a lot of psychology courses as a minor. I took a lot of philosophy courses as a minor. Um, so I, I got to kind of just learn about life, learn about myself and realize like at the end of the day, uh, you choose happiness, you can choose to be positive, you know, you can choose to have your own perspective and there's nothing uh, you can change about the fact that, okay, I am injured, but uh, either I respond to it negatively and project that on other people and just be angry, or I make it something positive as a lesson in life that whatever, whether you are someone who's religious or not, whatever it is, you can turn it into something that creates your own story. And I think for me, that really was what it came down to. I think, I think uh, anytime I have moments of like pain or sorrow or depression or whatever, it's always coming first to gratitude and realizing, Hey, like, you have it so much better than a lot of people in, 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 in the world does. You know, we live in a very great country. I, like, I know there's a lot of slack America gets, obviously, in the media, et cetera. But, you know, this is a country, if you're at least, you know, lower middle class, you have food on the table, you have a roof over you. Like, you know, how, how thankful, like, is it to, to be able to have that? So I think for me, like, that mentality uh, gave me the strength to, like, go through that meet and finish off and say, hey, like, even though the result wasn't what I wanted, um, and, and I ended up having to drop my deadlift opener and just barely narrowly just kind of finish off the meet. Um, I was able to go home without any regrets or anything like that. Um, 20, uh, the rest of that year uh, where I got to uh, work with coach Brad Pouillard, a phenomenal coach, really great experience working with them. Um, 2018 Raw Nats was my best meet ever yet. So that was kind of the comeback for me where I was like, wow, like I just went from having, you know, injury prone, kind of terrible meet to being able to go to Raw Nationals and, and you know, do pretty well. Um, but I think that meet, uh, the reason I mentioned earlier that it was kind of defining for me in my career is uh, I got fifth in juniors, which, you know, is pretty decent of an accomplishment. But honestly, for me, I think uh, I remember uh, stepping on the podium on fifth place next to like Sean's first, uh, Marcus Adobo, beast of a guy, he's second. Oh. Um, I think there was another guy named uh, Seer or Sayer. I can't remember his name. And then there was another guy fourth. Um, and and uh, I had some guy uh, in the front. I just asked him to take a picture for me. I was like, hey, like, I don't have anyone here with me. Can you just take a picture? And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, I did the best I could and had the best meet yet here. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm still fifth. And, and I, I didn't look at it as a negative thing. To me, it was more like, you know, I'm starting to take off as a coach. I start, I'm starting to build my roster. You know, I have, I have this UH team to come back home to. Um, I, I started realizing, you know, even if whatever we want to call it destiny or whatever, I'm this fifth place guy. Um, I don't mind that. I, I'm glad that I got this whole experience. I got to say I even competed and got fifth. Um, and, you know, no one's going to remember who the fifth place guy was at the end of the day, honestly. But um, for me, I think I wanted to find another way to leave that legacy and be like, oh, Mike was fifth. He was that guy, you know, and still kind of leave an impression on people's minds that um, uh, regardless of placing, uh, I think you can still leave a positive impact to everybody uh, in some form or in some shape or form. So, yeah, that meet was uh, uh, just a really great meet. And I think uh, I, I had such a good time. And, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, technically that was my last meet to date. Oh, wow. OK, got you. Got you, man. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, how you talk about fifth place, because I totally understand, you know, like if, you know, you're gunning for first, you're gunning for top three, you know, you wanted to, to have a higher placing, uh, at least in my eyes, bro. I was like, that was, that's fucking amazing, man. Like yeah. I, because at that time we were, uh, not in constant communication, but we comment on each other's stuff sometimes. And, you know, we met at the collegiate nationals and I was like, mm -hmm. you know, such an amazing guy, bro. Like amazing, amazing guy. So humble, so genuine. Like I wish nothing but the best, like speedy recovery and then to see you do that and make your way back um to see you at raw nationals and place fifth in the juniors i was super happy for you man and it was like a very inspiring for me bro so it's it's interesting how we can perceive things 
you know, or from, from two different perspectives. Cause for me, I was like, that is very, very inspiring for you to make it all the way back and have that performance and, and represent like that. And, uh, I know you say people don't remember the fifth place guy, but I definitely remembered. <laughs> I appreciate it. I remember you being up there, man. And, uh, posting pictures of the the raw nationals with like a, a smile on your face. I think it was on your deadlift. Um, so yeah, man, for me, that was memorable. And, and I did remember that. Um, but yeah, so moving forward a little bit now. So uh, after 2018 raw nationals, um, you know, what was the plans going into 2019 and uh, going into collegiate nationals that year? Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll share kind of like what happened in 2019. And, and for those of you listening, like, the next portion, you know, I'm going to be very objective. It's not to uh, say anything negative or whatever about anyone. It's just, I'm just going to kind of share my story. So I was mm -hmm. scheduled to do 2019 collegiate nationals. Um, I did have in my mind a little bit like, man, like even though 2018 raw nets went well, my glute pain was kind of starting to come back again. It wasn't terrible. Uh, I felt like I could do well at collegiate nationals, but uh, it was just one of those things that kind of made me feel like, man, I also have to coach my team there, you know? So it, it, it was mm -hmm. a lot on my plate to, to kind of juggle both. And um, I also had done bench nationals in 2018, as you, as you remember, because I qualified for Tokyo uh, bench worlds in 2019 um, mm -hmm. and as a junior. So that was kind of something I really, you know, set a goal for myself to do uh, in 2018. I got invited to do bench worlds that year, but it was also in some European country that would have costed a lot of money. I just did not have, you know, a couple grand uh, waiting to be spent on that. Uh, I would have been more than happy to go for sure, but yeah, it just was not a reality. So I thought to myself, I'm going to save money and make Tokyo a reality. So uh, I, I start training, you know, things go, things go pretty well in the prep. I, I ended up my baseline at the, uh, the collegiates prep was higher than my previous raw nets meet. So I had a lot to look forward to. And uh, literally this happened on the day I finished my last heavy squat. So I hit my squat. I, uh, it was at my house because uh, I had a, a equipment in my garage. So my roommate was spotting me and my, my good friend who was at my very first meet, the, the one I told you about the USPA meet, he, he came over to work out and spot me. Um, I get an email. And then uh, the email says, oh, like uh, you got a drug test uh, suspension or like you got flagged for something. So I was like, oh, like, what is this about? So I started reading through. Um, for, and, and for anyone who's kind of looked my name up, obviously, if you look and see in the database, it does say that I, I'm suspended for, for doping. So uh, to kind of clarify that situation, you know, the, the letter came and it said uh, they found something called GW1516 in my system. They found uh, like trace metabolites of it. Um, so you know, I, I talk to USAPL, we go back and forth. And essentially, like, if something like that happens, uh, the first option, like, there's kind of a step-by-step -step you can go through. The first thing that happens is um, you can protest it and say, okay, like, you know, I didn't take whatever compound this is. Uh, you pay, I think, 375 to get a second sample of your urine uh, tested. Because when you go and get drug tested, you have to pee into two separate uh, vials. Um, however, in my head, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, well, unfortunately, if they found this in my system in the first sample, I don't see what difference the second one would make. I'm just kind of spending 375 just to like go through the process. Um, mm -hmm. So I do that. Obviously, sample B comes back saying the same trace metabolites have been found. Um, to my knowledge, when I researched G uh, GW1516, it's something that like cyclists and endurance athletes are more often taking. It doesn't really have a strength benefit or anabolic kind of muscle gaining benefit. So, you know, at like... I, I, I'm happy that I shared everything with you up until this point, because it kind of shows a like powerlifting is a self-funded sport. I have no incentive to like take something to go all the way to Japan, which I paid for to not be eligible to go. You know what I mean? So uh, and also to, to take something that wasn't even, um, I guess, like an anabolic compound that would have benefited me strength wise. Um, so I like, needless to say, I was really heartbroken that session. Somehow I still deadlifted after and pulled a heavy single, but, uh, like, I was like, man, like I got to figure this out. So, uh, the next step was if they felt like I had taken a supplement that was tainted or, uh, you know, like as a mistake, um, I would have to provide it and, you know, get that tested at the lab, which was at least uh, over a thousand dollars, just, just for, for reference. Um, now, the problem here is, once again, I'm not trying to blame USA Powerlifting or anything, but uh, the, by the time I found out my results, uh, it was two and a half to three months after I had gotten uh, out of meat, randomly tested at home in February. So mm -hmm. uh, some of my friends who've gotten tested, they get they uh, one of my friends where this same situation happened to, he found out his results one week after the Arnold. So he had plenty of time to 
quickly find that supplement bottle or whatever it was and, you know, try to go get it tested. Um, So I obviously wrote in a testimony saying, Hey, look, like it's been two and a half months. Like, I don't, I don't think I can procure the supplement container that I thought was the one that was tainted. There was one that I had a strong inclination that, uh, that was uh, indeed the one I'm not going to say the company or the name because to this date, like we haven't truly found out if it was the case. Uh, But I told them like, essentially I don't have that tub anymore. And like, what am I like, what are my options now? Um, And essentially I was told there are no options. Like you, you're going to have to accept the suspension and it is, that's it. Um, so I think, I think, uh, at that point, it kind of was the pinnacle changing moment in my lifting career where I was like, okay, maybe once again, my positive mindset taking over and saying, this can be a blessing in disguise. I was going through a lot of chronic pain and my glute, and maybe this is a sign for me to just, you know, not like stop competing. So I ended up not doing collegiate nationals because I was ineligible. Um, I ended up, uh, going to Japan to enjoy the trip because I still have paid for everything. Uh, but, uh, it was ineligible to compete. Um, so it, it was pretty heartbreaking to, uh, kind of have that happen at what could have been like the peak of my career. And then I could have like maybe retired a little bit more formally, um, and just kind of competed a little bit more loosely. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I did not get that opportunity and, uh, and, and that ended up happening. So yeah, afterwards, uh, the rest of 2019, uh, um, it kind of felt a little aimless. I think, uh, that summer I tried jujitsu for a, a summer again, cause I was like, well, let's just try something else. Um, there was like a summer deal going on, but then I ended up uh, stopping after that summer. Um, and then 2020 happened and then, you know, uh, the pandemic happened. So I think, uh, it kind of worked out to where by the time 2020 happened, like meets just kind of got canceled and it wasn't really as accessible. Um, but definitely, yeah, it was very heartbreaking that, you know, now, uh, I'm, I'm serving that, uh, that suspension and, and, uh, pretty much uh, what was ineligible in a lot of ways. So, uh, to date, like, I mean, most of the meets I do go and meet they coach at now are just USPA meets. Uh, as, as you're aware on our team, I, I handle a lot of the USPA based kind of clients because of that ineligibility. And once again, it's not to, you know, try to, try to hash more arguments and fight back or anything, but yeah, that's just, that was just my experience. Um, it is very unfortunate and, uh, you know, people who are listening can take it for what it is and, and, you know, do their own research and decide for themselves. But, uh, at the end of the day, like, uh, for me, there really, unfortunately was no incentive. It was just kind of like, man, now, cause for worlds, when I made the team, you have to pay for your own drug test that they randomly test you. So it's not even like they're the ones paying for it. It's like, I paid, I think like $400 alone just for the drug test. And then I paid for the meat registration fee. So I was already like a couple grand in the hole, uh, being like a, you know, two to three job, uh, college student, you know, trying to pay for everything. So it, mm-hmm. it really did, uh, uh, it probably was a, a kind of a very low point in my life, but then, um, fortunately now, you know, I've, as you know, I've been doing jujitsu and really found, mm-hmm. fell in love with it. Um, I, I think, it's something I see myself doing uh, for, you know, the next you know decade, uh, even if I'm not trying to be a competitor, which I don't really have any crazy aspirations to compete uh, in jujitsu. It's just something I want to keep training and doing. Uh, but, but yeah, like uh, it switched my gears. I, I focused more on personal finance, investing, mm-hmm. you know, learning more about that. It wasn't something in my family that was taught because we just didn't know about, about a, a handling money. So I think mm-hmm. uh, it helped me change gears and, you know, just focus on my career and as a coach and, and amongst other things. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of what brings us to, to where we are today. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you, you know, Take, taking the opportunity and taking the time to, to express all of that and be so open and honest about everything and, and sharing uh, what, I, what had happened. Um, I find it very, very admirable uh, to see that you always choose to look on the bright side of things. You know, you always choose to look on the positive in a really tough, unfortunate, you know, and like you said, it was kind of like a low point. You know, you chose to be like, no, I still have a lot of great things going for me. I can focus on this. I can improve my life in this area. I can choose to, uh, you know, start something else that makes me happy, you know, or like make this better or grow in this aspect. Um, I, I admire that a lot about you. It shows a lot about your character. Um, and I think that just everything that you had done in your community shows your character and it speaks for itself. You know, like everyone knows that you're an amazing person. Every time I talk to people from Texas uh, who are familiar with Houston, they have nothing but amazing things to say about you. And they really say that you were the face of the Houston community and like put that community on your back and put them on the map and built them up, you know? So all of those things, man, like I have nothing but so much respect, so much admiration, so many positive and amazing things to say about you, bro. And, you know, just know that 
you know, I know <laughs> you're like, yeah, we're going to be a little biased, but of course I'm going to, I'm going to say, man, that you have my, my 100% support, you know, and I love you and everyone on the team loves you and we'll always be here for you, bro. So, um, yeah, just wanted I, I to take that, that time yeah. to say that too, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, p- part of me that, uh, wanted to, to share all this, I think with you is not because of, uh, of any, uh, anything wrong with any other coaches, but I think, I think uh, you and I can relate the most from an empathy perspective of like being able to share and talk about these things, because anyone who knows me in person, like I'm pretty open. Like if you ask me questions, like I'm more than willing to share. I think I try to stay away from that, you know, stereotype of like, Oh, if you're the guy, you got to be tough. You can't cry. You can't share emotions. Cause I, I think that's a bunch of BS, you know, like, yes. especially <laughs> after studying psychology and learning yeah. about the human mind, I think, uh, I see the huge benefits and, uh, I haven't, I haven't, uh, uh, been able to have the pleasure of trying it yet, but I, like, I, I see benefits in therapy. I see benefits in just being able to talk to people and share these mm-hmm. things. So I think for anyone, uh, uh, maybe that can relate to this situation or anything. I mean, hopefully, uh, it is, it is something that, uh, that can kind of cheer them up because it reminds me of this, um, Dave Chappelle skit, uh, that I saw and Dave Chappelle, as you know, if he's, he's a well-known comedian, but over the years, like he's gotten a lot of controversy and, you know, a pushback on some of his content, but one of the, stories he gave was uh, uh he was trying to call out this guy who was swindling people uh, on in new york i think on the streets uh playing like this card game and then the guy grabbed dave by the the collar and and pr- pulled him aside and then you know saw dave was a kid he was like 18 so he was like uh, i'm gonna let you go but you know to to take someone's livelihood away from them is equivalent to killing them is what he told dave and dave said that'll stick stay with them for the rest of his life and i think uh, it resonated with me, but then I thought to myself, well, if, if uh, taking away my livelihood is equivalent to killing me, well, I'm just going to get reborn as, as something different, as something new. And I'm going to make, make light of it as, you know, now, now more in a coaching role. I don't just have to yeah. do uh, powerlifting coaching. I, and I think now, as you know, like most of the demographic I work with are honestly a lot of people who don't necessarily want to compete very aggressively or often. They just want to strength train regularly and manage it in their busy schedules. And I kind of almost see myself as like a health and fitness consultant. It's like talking <laughs> to people about how can we manage this in your life? Cause I know a lot of the lifters, I respect uh, that you, Sean and Eric, Aiden, Chance that you guys work with. They're the type of lifters that are like, coach, give me whatever. If you think it's going to work, I'm going to die by the hill and do it. And I'm going to make yep. sure I do whatever it takes to do it. And now I do mm-hmm. have a few lifters like that, but, uh, but I don't, you know, require that or anything. I think, I think a, a lot of my lifters are more like uh, discussing with me, how can I fit my workouts this week when I got all these uh, things on my plate or, you know, they're, they're a CPA or something that with a very busy schedule. So I think it kind of changed the demographic of people I work with, but uh, in a, in a very fun and, and different way that suited my skill set. So mm-hmm. uh, honestly, uh, uh, as of where we're at today, I can't complain. I'm very thankful that someone like Sean, you know, uh, after discussing with them and talking to him, especially through these last years, he's been very open and, you know, accepting of, of my situation and has been, like you said, always been on my side. So um, to, to uh, have like a, a quote unquote, a boss like Sean to work for and fellow coworkers like yourself and, and others to work with, uh, it's been nothing short of a pleasure to, to be a part of this team and, you know, be, be, be accepted into, into a group without having to be labeled uh, for, you know, some type of mistake because uh, that's a whole nother rabbit hole but like you know it's kind of like in america like if you go to jail right it's like people see you as a criminal now and it's like almost as like a someone who can't get reformed and to me it's like so heartbreaking that like someone maybe an 18 year old kid who didn't have money who made a mistake and now like now he's like 29 out of jail and then he's labeled as like a felon or whatever and he's just struggling to get a job struggling to change his life and become better whereas like some other countries you know they have more uh, systems set up to where you can get these people to, to just reintegrate back into society. So I'm, I'm hoping for people listening, you know, this is uh, similarly, like, I think, uh, don't, I, I don't, I don't look at someone for some mistake they made and say, that's all of who they are. Like, I, I want to talk to that person and get to know their story inside. And I think uh, on the internet nowadays, it's easy to just like say things and be mean and, you know, not care about the repercussions or not really follow up and see like what people are going through. Cause you know, yeah. there are people out there who probably are going through a lot and you and I don't know it. And then one positive comment from someone like you or me to that person might be something that really makes their day that day to, to make them feel like, you know, someone cares, you know, someone actually is kind and gave me that versus that, uh, you know, angry, mean comment, you know, that, that ruins that person's day that, or their week, or even just mentally just really puts them down. So I think for me, I, I really try to be a proponent of like, 
self-care, mental health, and, 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 you know, while working hard and trying to establish, you know, things in your life. And, and I think uh, um, that's something I hope to pass on to other people and, you know, just keep that trend going. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. That was beautiful, man. <laughs> I love hearing that. And uh, I definitely agree that one person can absolutely make a difference. You know, they can make a change in someone's life, uh, whether it's seeing them often or being a constant role in someone's life or rather just it is. Yeah, just one nice thing to to get someone through their day or get someone through or or to tell them that like you can do it and you believe in them. You know, sometimes it really does just take one person to be like, you can do this. And that is all they need to like push themselves to be to be better. Um, and on the other hand, yeah, definitely right. Uh, one person can make a big difference on the, on the negative end. So, you know, I, I definitely resonate with that and, uh, super fortunate to be able to know you, man, and, and be this close and have these kind of conversations and be open it open and honest and compassionate with each other. Because I feel like, honestly, it's pretty rare to have these kind of deep talks with people, you know, mm -hmm. especially if it's like people that you don't. Uh, see all the time or you know like for us we've we've seen each other a handful of times in person yeah. and the rest has just been through you know through zoom calls or through mm. team meetings uh so for us to have a kind of conversation like this uh a very wholehearted conversation is very special man and i it means a lot you know that you trusted me to to be the person to to be on this interview with you and and share this conversation man so so thank you so much yeah, not a problem at all, man. I appreciate you being the one to, to ask and, and, you know, be, uh, be, be kind and, and, you know, how you set everything up. And, you know, it's, I think, uh, I'm hope, I hope that this can be something that more people feel like they can do with, with people around them. And, and, you know, I, I don't think you have to necessarily know someone a long time or be physically next to them all the time. I think it's amazing that we live in a world where even technology allows us to have these types of connections and talks, uh, even virtually, yeah. right? Um, and, and I'm always one who is willing to have those talks and I'm just looking for the people to have those insightful conversations with. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like the, the world is so vast and crazy. And, and uh, yeah, like for people that know me outside of like the coaching uh, uh, spectrum, it's like, I'm, I have so many uh, quirky interests and things I like, you know, I love to hear about how our space exploration stuff is going, you know, <laughs> the genealogy stuff. And uh -huh. yeah, like I, I try to uh, keep my interests broad and, and, and different so that, uh, you know, things don't get a, a too, too uh, redundant for me. But other than that, mm -hmm. yeah, thanks so much for, um, you know, taking the time to uh, interview and just talk to me, Jaren. I really appreciated uh, having a, a good conversation with you. Absolutely, man. Um, I think that's everything. I think that's a great uh, way to end this podcast and a good note to end it on, man. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to, to talk about or, or go over? Um, I think uh, the only thing is uh, we got we got a couple, uh, you know, we're trying to do a seminar in Chicago. We don't have any uh, exact updates on it yet. But for those of you uh, in the Chicago area, especially around collegiate's time, I think we're finalizing out some details. Uh, I myself, unfortunately, won't be able to attend. But I think uh, Sean is, is trying to put put it together with everyone. And then, you know, we're going to have the team. Many team members uh, do high school nationals, collegiate nationals, uh, junior nationals. Uh, and then and thereafter, later in the year, we got raw nationals in June. So a lot of mm -hmm. exciting meets uh coming up for for everyone on the team but uh, other than that i mean uh just wishing everyone a, a good luck in their training on both team nori and and those of you that are also training for it that are listening and uh, thank you so much for for listening and and uh, hopefully um this interview series is something uh, i hope to keep on going uh for for, yeah. for team nori and maybe get a chance to pull other other lifters in our community that are well known that people haven't gotten the chance to to hear about their backstory and who they are um I, that's something i'm gonna have a vision to work on for you guys. So be on the lookout and, uh, and we'll, we'll come back and be, uh, you'll be hearing more from us pretty soon. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much, you guys. And thank you so much, Michael. Take care.